Welcome to the Legends of Oral Regeneration by the Osteology Foundation. One host, one guest, and a whole bunch of experience and expertise. Meet the people behind the names and get unique insights. So, hello everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Legends of Oral Regeneration Topic Podcast, which is organized by the Osteology Foundation. So welcome, my name is Frank Schwarz. I'm an executive board member of the Osteology Foundation and I'm currently a professor at the University of Frankfurt in Germany. So for today, I feel very privileged and honored having yet another true legend in oral tissue regeneration here with us in the podcast. So it is Professor Jill Alcoforado. He is of course, a very impressive person, and I have a great, the great privilege knowing him for so many, many years. And I will briefly summarize his very impressive CV. And uh, Jill, you are a specialist in periodontology and implant dentistry. You have received your specialty in perio from the University of Bergen in Norway in 1983. You were a visiting researcher at the University of Pennsylvania with Professor Jürgen Slotz, Stuart Newman, and Max Lissgarten in 86. So this is where you got familiar with the godfathers in microbiology. So this is what we have to pick up, of course, in more detail. Well, you have spent so many years as, as president. You served for so many Society. So just to highlight some of those achievements. So you are the founder and the past president of the Portuguese Periodontal Society. You are a past president of the European Federation of Periodontology. You are the immediate past president of the European section of the International College of Dentists. You have received of course, many, many um, distinguished awards. So one of the most relevant one, at least from my perspective, is the recipient award of the EFP, um, the Board Service Award as president. So, so you served from 1997 to 1998 and the Distinguished Service Award 2020. You are the recipient of the silver medal of the EAO, 2019. And of course, you are the current um, president-elect of the EAO. You also serve as a volunteer for a charity, is an NGO, the Mundo Soria, since 2007. You are a rector and the dean of the Igas Monis University in Lisbon, Portugal, since 2018. And on top of all these activities, you are also running a private practice in Lisbon. So, Jill, it is such a great pleasure and an enormous privilege having you as one of our next legends here in the podcast. Welcome, Jill. Thank you very much, Frank. It's uh, really a great honor to be here. So, Jill, um as you may know, we, we always start this Legends podcast with a very simple question. And this is, I think, one of the most personal questions that we can address. 
So how did you find your way into dentistry? Well, actually, um, my father was a, was a dentist and um, he, he was... Uh, He has always been a person that uh, looked for new things and uh, education. He was a medical doctor. He, he went uh, for general surgery before, then obstetrician, uh, tropical diseases, and only then went to Geneva a Dental School to get um, his, um, his, his dental degree. Um, and um, he was always fascinating. For example, he was introduced ceramics into Portugal, he used one of our bathrooms. When I was a kid, I was six or seven, I remember, uh, on weekends he was doing his, uh, his uh, ceramics uh, uh, with um, this uh, uh, new Vita uh, furnace. And then when he was uh, able to do it, then he took it over to, to, to his office and, uh, and taught uh, um, his two dental technicians because he had two dental technicians in house just for him. Um, and of course, I was a lot into his lab, and um, I got interested. And uh, however, there was there were no dental schools in Portugal then, so I normally went into medical school. I did my first three years, and then when I was finishing my third year, it was fantastic opportunity. Um, the Norwegian government um, helped. The, uh, after the Portuguese revolution, um, when uh, democracy was established um, and helped um, opening two uh, dental schools um, that only had the dental part, uh, which um, people in order to get in had to have the three first years of medical school. So, so for me, it was just uh, uh, the perfect situation. So I applied, I got in, we were 16 in the first year. Mm. <laughs> so it was a very small group. Um, and I was uh, part of that that group, which was fantastic. And uh, and then uh, the Norwegians also helped uh, the scientific part of the of those um, first few groups, and uh, that's why where I was um, uh, acquainted with them and uh, and got interested into 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 perio. I was also at that time we didn't have any dental hygienists in Portugal. So uh, during the, my uh, two last years of dentistry, I um, I worked with my father as his uh, hygienist, uh, just doing oral hygiene instructions and uh, and a little scaling, nothing else. Um, and this, and suddenly I I saw the results I had uh, with just scaling and, and oral hygiene instruction, and this was mind blowing for me. So. Um, My father was very much into prosthetics and thought that without prosthetics, a dentist could not survive. When I told him that I, I wanted to take uh, perio um, as, a, as a prime and an only specialty, he was not happy. <laughs> But um, I was able to prove him wrong after a, a certain number of years that uh, I could survive with um, with just perio because after a couple of years after arriving from, from Bergen, I limited my practice to, to perio. And then um, a few years later, I introduced the surgical part of implants into my practice too. Well, let, let's say 
a couple of moments back in in 1980. So um, you you early on decided to to, to focus on Perio. So that was of course the, the these were the emerging days. So when Perio has in in fact been established. But what was your personal motivation to to go into Perio? It, it, the, my personal motivation was was actually not only I start reading journal of periodontology when I was a dental student, but also the results I was getting with just oral hygiene instruction with my fa- with my father's patients. I mean, this it is I, I could not I, I could not believe my eyes what what I was achieving with such so called easy uh, yeah. um, uh, treatments preventive treatments. So th- th- I, I, I immediately saw that there was something because at that time, uh, um, perio, so-called perio, was just splinting teeth um, and then um, uh, putting some some hot uh, um, uh, electric uh, uh, knives on, on, onto the onto the onto the, the gingiva in order to 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 make them uh, less in 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 um, inflamed but that was it that that was it so i mean there was no no really prevent primary preventive uh, work done and and this was definitely the what what really uh, i i saw that there was a future and there were no specialists in in portugal at the time actually i was i was the only periodontist for seven years and I, I tried very hard to convince others to go out and and um, and become a, become a specialist nowadays uh, we we have uh, we are well served with extremely good uh, periodontists yeah so and how did it come that you even focus more on the the microbiological aspect so in in 19 um 83 you decided to to or, or sorry in 1986 you decided to to move to Pennsylvania so how did it come uh, it, it was uh, in I, I went to the states for the first time in 1985 mm. and um but before that i had been with jürgen slot in oslo just before he moved from uh, uh, gothenburg to 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 philadelphia so you and had the personal link. So you had the, the personal. I link. had I had that personal link, and uh, he, he, and I was really fascinated with the uh, with um, the microbiological change uh, from uh, from disease to health or back to health, and um, and it it was him really that um, that introduced me, and I went to to Penn to work in his lab. Basically, I was I was following. The, the, um, the seminars together with Max Litzgard and, 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 and all the others. Um, the Salama brothers were just finishing uh, their, um, their Perioprost program at that time. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting um, time in Philadelphia because there was this big clash between the, the old uh, uh, American school and, and, the, and the more Biologically oriented Scandinavians, because Jan Linde was the dean, student Newman was there, um, uh, Jürgen Slots was there. So, so it it was uh, it was uh, very very excited. Uh, I was talking the, uh, 
with Jeff Canales uh, recently and and uh, and remembering that this this actually a very um historical moment for um for Perio in the in the in the states yeah so looking a little bit at your your personal um research activities and uh, I do remember Early on in my career, uh, when I was um, invited uh, to, to, to lecture about peri-implantitis, I several times um, had the chance to, to be with you in the same session. So you were, or, and still are, one of the key persons that had early on focused on peri-implantitis. And uh, what a surprise, in, in 1991, you have first published on the microbial uh, aspects of so-called failing failing because perimplantitis perimplantitis in humans exactly the, num the number the name didn't exist then so. yes yes exactly so that uh, that is still um all around in the literature at least in the united states they're still using these terms failing and ailing which uh, which is of course uh, in the meantime um not the appropriate term but but in in the 90s early on you you adapted your knowledge that you have gathered um, from the bio microbiological perspective to implant. So that was really a surprise to see that you focused on this, on this topic so early on. So how did it come? Well, it, it, it came because um, Jürgen Slotz had, had, had um, his lab was working also for, for, um, for the outside. So people could, could take samples um in in uh, and then they would send it to 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 his lab uh, and then we cultured the, the, the those samples and see what uh, what was going on and then give give some advice and antibiotic uh, therapies and so on uh, and then suddenly from one day to the other we started uh, uh, receiving also um samples uh from dentists that were placing implants uh, we were talking about 80 Seven, eighty, eighty-eight, eighty-nine. That's when we started in doing this, this, these studies um, with samples coming from uh, uh, now we call it uh, perimplantitis areas. I mean, in an, in it was it was really uh, fascinating to see certain number of um, of microbiota that was not supposed to be there. I mean, Candida uh, in. Um, in yeah. deep sulcus is is not an obvious thing and uh, and um pseudomonas and uh, and enteric rods and so on so <clears throat> but the fact is that um, you we have to think that uh, probably this microbiota was due to uh, uh, the lack of knowledge that dentists had that we had at that time uh, people were dentists were afraid of touching the implant surface so the only treatment was that was done at that time was to give one antibiotic after another. <laughs> and then obviously you get those type of uh, super infections and so on. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, we have to put things into perspective and, and, and see what type of knowledge we had uh, um, at that time, which was very scarce. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and this was the, 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 the possibility of, 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 of doing this type of, um, of studies for, I mean, for several number of years, uh, I, I took uh, um, August as a vacation and uh, and spent that month of August um, in Jürgen's lab 
first in Philadelphia and then later on in the, um, at USC in, in California. But uh, um, I mean, the, my family suffered a lot because of that. But uh, I mean, I, I was able to to improve my knowledge in in, the, um, in that area, which is an area that still fascinates me. Yeah, definitely. So you were definitely one of the persons that um, that really pushed me in the topic and uh, that that really um, convinced me to follow this so-called peri-implantitis affected um, implants. So we have gained a lot knowledge over the years, but still the microbiological aspect is still something that is completely inconclusive at implant sites. So unfortunately, we 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 are not there where we want or where we have to be right absolutely i mean uh, and then you 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 could see if you if you read the literature in uh, uh, along the line in in terms of dates you see that uh, microbiology was very important and uh, the immunology part was was became more important uh, i never understood why why the microbiologists and the immunologists didn't speak with each other because <laughs> <laughs> but um obviously the, 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 the and now genetics comes is coming into 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 the picture so i mean it's 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 a complicated uh, issue uh multifactorial uh, issue that has uh, that has to be dealt uh, very carefully i mean and in terms of treatment you're definitely one of the uh, one of the legends of um, of treatment of perimplantitis that, that that's for sure Let's have a further look on a little bit on on your home country. So Portugal is 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 very specific in dentistry. So I think we have many things coming. So many topics. Just think about um, all on four concepts. Um, we have many things coming from Portugal. So Portugal is a very specific country, um, and uh, you are at least for me the the name that represents Portugal in 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 all the different perspectives so for perio for for implants um what is so special about portugal what would you say you, you know i think that um I, i must say well of course uh, i'm going to be a little biased here because i'm dean of one of the seven universities uh, we have in, in 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 portugal that have dental schools uh but um the level of of um Of teaching uh, uh, dentistry is 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 fairly high, um, and um, uh, for example, the Lisbon area has been, uh, uh, and also the Porto area has been um, influenced uh, at the beginning by the Norwegians that gave us a lot of biology, uh, and this is a tradition that stayed on. Um, so probably, um, I think that. Uh, Uh, dentists start with uh, a pretty good knowledge of, uh, and good a good background, um, and some, of course, are, are uh, have good ideas and then develop them and so on. So I mean, it's it's uh, um, it, it has it. Th th there have been a few uh, uh, good things that have uh, come from uh, from here, but I think the general the general level. Uh, of of Portuguese dentists, <clears throat> and I know, for example, now that we have too many dentists and a lot of them are uh, going to other countries, uh, I know that um, 
in, in England, for example, we have more than a thousand Portuguese dentists uh, at the moment. And uh, I know that they are very well accepted um, due to the, the type of level of treatment they are, um, they are producing. Mm -hmm. So later on, you, you have, of course, massively pushed Perio in, in Portugal. So you were the, the founder of the Perio Society, and that was, of course, the link to collaboration with the EFP. So uh, when you look back at those times, um, what would you like to share? So what, what, what do you remember? Maybe a nice anecdote or, or something that, that uh, is still in your mind. Well, for example, I mean, uh, um, I was I was very young when when it started, and uh, um, at that time, all the professors uh, that has had uh, started both dental schools uh, had come uh, from hospitals and from uh, private practices. But I mean, some of them were were um, middle aged. Uh, probably well younger than I am now, but uh, but still looked at youngsters with um, with um, with some uh, they were scared a little bit uh, uh, because they they also they gave us a, a proper uh, a better pr preparation than than they had them themselves. So um, when we started the the, the Perio Society, um, I had to pick up. And ask one of my professors to become the president of the Paris Society. Otherwise, we would have been in huge difficulty if I would uh, would lead the, the, the society there, uh, because the 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 the, um, the dental the dental society was not ready to have such a. A young uh, mm. a president of a, of a, of a national society. So, so I asked one of my old professors, and he accepted. I mean, I did most of the work, but uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the fact is that uh, titles never, never were never very important for me. I mean, they, they happened, um, but um, it, it, I um, I look at them without any any special. I mean, I, I always. I always say that I prefer to be a, a soldier in in a team that that uh, works well than than the um, than the general of something that does not work. So I mean, it's it's uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a, a team person, not not uh, no, never considered. I, I hate to give orders. I mean, something that I, uh, the, even in my private practice, I uh, I've. Uh, I, I, I built my private practice with people that knew what to do, so I wouldn't. I would not have and be responsible and competent, so I wouldn't have to give orders to anybody. Just check, and uh, and but that has been a little bit the, the way I've worked um, all my life. And this is what I would completely underline: you are the, the person that that never puts himself in the forefront so you you are always the supporter and you you manage things you bring people together and this is what i would clearly underline so that's that's uh, one of the unique features that that you have but i'm also happy to hear that in the old times and today it's it's pretty much the same you have to put 
professor in the forefront and uh, we have to do the work in order to keep it running. <laughs> I said it didn't change. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It, it never changes. But um well it was um from from your presidency as an EFP president. Uh, what what do you have in mind? So do we have something um an anecdote or something that that you can quite good remember? I mean uh, um I mean, starting the EFP uh, in Marrakesh, which actually was the second meeting of the uh, of the future EFP, the, the, mm. of, of the group that uh, would establish a, a federation later on, <clears throat> and um, and for example, the the the, the good anecdote was that uh, um, one of the the, the most important. People that um, started that group, I mean, there was one per country, was um, uh, um, Van der Velde. And, and for example, he uh, um, wanted us to work. So mm. he put us in a hotel, I still remember, Pullman Hotel, in the, in the middle of the highway between uh, Schiphol Airport and, and Amsterdam. When I say middle, is in middle. There were the, the, the cars were going on one side and back on the other side. So we were that was a, actually a little island um, in the middle of the highway. We couldn't go anywhere. I mean, if we wanted a coffee, we could go to the coffee shop, which was in the hotel. But I mean, if you put a, a foot outside the hotel, you would be you you would be crashed by by a car for, for oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, we worked from uh, uh, seven in the morning until three o'clock in the morning the next day and and so on. But I mean, it was it was we went there, I think two or three times uh, in a row. Um, but that's how the the, the, the European Federation was born. Um, then the, the European Federation was born with the suspicion of the Scandinavians. Scandinavians really didn't say, oh, "Okay, I mean, there's a group from the southern guys that." Uh, so um, when we organized Europari One, which was in uh, in, in Paris and uh, in Disney World, um, the the Scandinavians, the British, and the and the Dutch still had the the fifth North Sea Conference, same same year. Because and um, and then when we had Europari Two, three years later, then we were able to gather the the. the the Scandinavians, then, because then they realized that uh, that um, this was going to to fly, and uh, we had one thousand two hundred in, in Paris and and three hundred two hundred three hundred and fifty and five hundred in 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 Florence when when I was president of the of the of the EFP, uh, which was a huge um, huge success. So and then and now basically I think we have created a monster because there are only few cities in the world in the in Europe that can hold the the the, the, the Europarium. But I mean it, it it has been a success. Unfortunately, they have been they have, and I fought for that when I was there, uh, um, and they kept it to happen only every three years, and that's probably one of the major. Uh, success stories um, because uh, people realize that uh, they'll have to go, so they organize themselves. It is a must. It is a must, and uh, it is a must. Yeah, but you're looking a little bit more in, into the future. So you are currently the president-elect of the EAO. So you are 
talking about some kind of a monster. So that's the, the monster in the implant field. So the, the, the biggest society, um, which also attracts so many people that, well, there are not so many places where you can host the meetings, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, here in Lisbon, we, we, yeah. we had 4,500 people and uh, um, in Geneva, it was a little fewer because of, of COVID and hopefully um, in Berlin and, and, and next uh, future meetings we'll have back, we'll be, be, be back to, 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 to these big, um, big numbers. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very successful, I mean, in, in Lisbon, we have uh, almost 90 countries represented. I mean, it's it's called the European, but it's 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 really a world organization. Yeah, it goes far beyond Europe. That's exactly for sure. So, Jill, how would you envision a little bit the, the future, not just in dentistry, but but a little bit beyond dentistry? So we are we are trying to establish ourselves more and more as as some kind of oral medicine related doctors. And how how do you see the field moving? So where do you see the link with regenerative procedures, but also with implant dentistry within the context of, of let's say, oral medicine? I, I fully agree with you. I think that uh, um, with uh, shortening the, the dental curriculum, uh, was probably not a very good thing. And one of these days we'll realize, and some countries are already realizing, that we'll probably have to, to expand it a little more with medical uh, um, uh, subjects. Yeah. Uh, uh, probably uh, those medical subjects and some of the basic medical subjects will should, should be uh, included in the, um, in the dental curriculum. And um, I think this is, this is definitely um, something that will, is needed probably. Um, in, in terms of, um, of, of the future, uh, and here we are talking about the future, the future of uh, um, guided um, uh, tissue regeneration, for example, which uh, I mean, the 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 all the all the the exchange I had with Stuart Neiman um, in uh, I, I, I saw him presenting in Deauville at, at the French Paris Society in in, in eighty two is is uh, with his uh, um, experiment with uh, millipore filters and and so on which was just fantastic and then at a later stage in when I had probably lunch every day for six months when I was in Philadelphia, um, I, I was embedded with this type of, of, uh, of development. And, and nowadays, I think that uh, um, in terms of tissue regeneration, we'll, uh, we have to develop uh, um, scaffolds that will be better adapted to, to, to the cellular demands. Um, there are so many things that are happening. 3D printing, for example, um is is definitely a, a, a possibility um and and growth factors um determine also which ones sh should be used uh, the, their specific concentrations 
um, cell therapy, um, gene therapy, all, all those things are happening. But you have to teach those basic uh, uh, subjects uh, uh, in dental school so, so people will be able to follow up those, those, um, those improvements. Otherwise, it's not going to be, to be possible. And you have also to make sure that students have an open mind. I mean, if you ask me what, what we should tell the, the, the dental students when they graduate, say, hey, your education just started. Yes. So keep on educating yourselves all the time. I mean, um, I've 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 taken courses myself. I mean, I give courses, but I also taken courses myself. I, I don't I don't feel bad just because I'm 67 uh, uh, that I know it all. No, I, I I still love to improve, and the day I don't do not want to improve and do not do not want to to study and. Uh, and um, and, may, uh, and improving, then I should retire. Uh, um, and until I do not retire, then I have to I have to keep on uh, improving. And this is the message that we should pass on um, to to the, to, the, to the youngsters. That the education does not finish when they get the, the diploma when they get out of, of dental school. It's just just the beginning. Oh, definitely. But Jill, what we are definitely lacking are passionate um, teachers and mentors such as you are, without any doubt. So I, I had the privilege uh, uh, listening to you in so many conferences and you, you are, were always the person that was really right to the point and really attracting the people. And well, this is what we also have to realize, having the right persons, the right lecturers, the right the right, um, let's say, motivators, that's also a key element. So I, I hope and I'm sure that you can move your team and your people surrounding you. And there are many um, really youngsters from Portugal that are really um, following your line. So this is what I really appreciate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, here at uh, Egas Munich School of Health and, uh, and Science, we have a uh, very nice group that hopefully in the in the future will do uh, big things yeah Jill time is running but we are not at the end I would like to ask you some final personal things so that the first is well you 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 spend you dedicate so much time to to this what you define as your profession so it's a profession it's not a job this is this is your life but I know your life is much broader so you have um, a nice family. You have such such a tremendous familiarity background. And most recently at the airport, I was so impressed that all of a sudden, while we are we were waiting at the gate, you moved over to a piano and you started playing <laughs> piano. And I was more than impressed. And not just myself, but all the the passengers surrounding, they stopped and they were listening to you. So it was like a private concert. So how can you manage? And piano playing is nothing that you learn just um, in, in a five-minute spot per day. So how can you manage all these different things? You, you know, you, you are exaggerating a little bit. Basically, I have uh, I've taken piano uh, four years ago from scratch. 
Yeah, that, but it makes it even worse because <laughs> and, uh, because uh, I've, I've I've read somewhere that uh, um, learning a, a, an instrument at my age could uh, exact, uh, prevent Alzheimer's. So I mean, it's it's a, it's oh, it's a nice way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and but um, and uh, I go to piano lessons. Uh, I mean, once or twice a week, if possible. But I mean, it's from nine to ten in the evening. I, I get up at si at six, and um, but it relaxes me. I mean, it's it's like taking a a sleeping pill. But after that, uh, I go home. I I close my eyes and I uh, I sleep uh, very well. And uh, I mean, the number of pieces that I'm able to to play are very limited. But I mean, I'm not going to give any concert. I mean, this was that that airport thing was just a. Um, a joke, and then in terms of physical, I like uh, what the skiing. So I'm, uh, I, I, I like to try it uh, on weekends whenever I am at home and uh, and it, it's possible. Then I, then I want to ski and uh, and do a few competitions and so on. So hopefully I'll I'll go to the European Championships next uh, <laughs> next next September in 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 Bordeaux, <clears throat> with the main aim of not getting, uh, not being the last. I mean, if I'm Before the last time, I'm okay. I mean, it's 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 not a <laughs> that's so wonderful. Well, seeing that that you really live this work life balance, so that's that's truly amazing. So, Jill, I would like to thank you very much for this for this outstanding um, podcast for this conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. I've now even more information about you and your person and your life. So this is highly appreciated. And I wish you all the best. And I'm sure that we will be around for, for many years together. And uh, this is uh, what I really appreciate. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. One host, one guest, and a whole bunch of experience and expertise. Meet the people behind the names and get unique insights.